As I look at this very large congregation, I knew how those players from Pennsylvania felt yesterday. <laughs> I'm seized by something of the same paralysis, which evidently troubled them. <laughs> they made a pretty good comeback, but it was too late. And that's what happens to a lot of us. We finally repent, but it's very difficult to catch up before the gun is fired. Everyone who stands at this pulpit on such an occasion as this has the same feeling, a feeling of wonder and appreciation and reassurance. It is a tremendously impressive thing to know that there are so many of your kind and that the generations of the Church are growing in strength and faith and knowledge of the things of God. Great and serious is the responsibility of speaking to you. I pray that I may be directed by the Holy Spirit. At the outset and by way of introduction of what I may say later and even at the risk of appearing a little negative, I wish to indulge a personal privilege. Before this large audience, I wish to set the record straight on some statements mistakenly attributed to me. Two or three weeks ago, a man handed me a typewritten page or two and asked, Did you say the things you are reported to have said in this paper? I was in a hurry. I quickly read the statement responded, Of course not. I know better than that. I paid no further attention. And then more inquiries began to come in through the mail from Provo and Rexburg and some other places. And I knew that I had better make an effort to stop this fabrication, which, because of its sensationalism, evidently is being copied and given wide circulation. It alleges that I recently participated in a missionary conference in South Africa and that in a question-and-answer period, I was asked concerning the second coming of the Savior. I am reported to have said that he would come on the morning of the Sabbath and that he would come on his birthday. From those alleged premises, the originator of this document had consulted a hundred-year calendar and had concluded with some measure of certainty that the Lord will come on April 6, 1986. I'd just like to say you'd better shape up. <laughs> it would be funny if it were not so serious in the extent of its distribution. The fact is that I was in South Africa with President Kimball for an area conference last fall. The further fact is that a meeting was held with missionaries in that area at which the mission president, Elder Neil Maxwell, President Kimball, and I spoke. 
But there was no question and answer period, nor, nor was there any discussion of the second coming of the Savior. The talks given were taped, and I have a transcript of these. I recall hearing President Heber J. Grant say many years ago that falsehood could march around the world while truth was pulling on its boots. I'm beginning to understand that. <clears throat> I would assume that there would be no one in the Church who would think that a member of the Council of the Twelve would make such statements as these attributed to me. Furthermore, should any such idea have come into my mind, it would not have stood unchallenged with the President of the Church seated immediately behind me. <laughs> the fact is that the whole thing is a fabrication. Why anyone would indulge in this kind of speculation, I cannot understand. Paul advised Timothy, foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes. Of course I do not know when the Savior will come. He himself said, Of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Watch, therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house <clears throat> had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. If anyone were to talk, were to ask me the day and the hour of the second coming, I could only answer, I do not know, and you may quote me. <laughs> but while neither I nor any other man knows when he will come, there are some things I do know. That knowledge coming from the scripture and the testimony of its truth coming by the power of the Holy Ghost. While not knowing the time, I look forward to it. Recently, having a free evening, I watched on television a series of news programs. Each dealt with conflict and sorrow and oppression in the world. There was war between Vietnam and China and war in Yemen. There was terrible tension in Iran. Those descendants of Abraham, the Israelis and the Arabs, were trading epithets over the peace treaty due to be signed tomorrow. There were charges of corruption in our own land. There was the account of 500,000 children lost in the big cities of America, many of them girls, including some very young, turning to prostitution and caught in a trap from which they could not escape. There were accounts of brutality and terrible perversion. Turning off the set, I walked past the piano in the living room and picked up the hymn book. There I read these choice words, written long ago by Parley P. Pratt, which echo my own feelings. Come, O thou King of kings, we've waited long for thee with healing in thy wings. 
to set thy people free. Come thou, desire of nations, come, let Israel now be gathered home. Come make an end to sin and cleanse the earth by fire, and righteousness bring in that saints may tune the lyre. With songs of joy, a happier strain to welcome in thy peaceful reign. Among the things I know and of which I am sure is that he will come again. I hope all of you have seen that beautiful and impressive mural on the east wall of the lobby of the church office building, in which is portrayed the final instruction of the resurrected Lord given to the eleven of his, of his apostles. Here he charged them concerning their future responsibility to take the gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, Two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go. I know likewise that when he shall come the second time, he shall come in glory in contrast with the way he came in the meridian of time. Then he who had been the great Jehovah, the creator of the earth and the God who spoke to the prophets of old, condescended to come as a babe born in a manger in Bethlehem of Judea. He walked the dusty roads of Palestine, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, he yielded himself into the hands of wicked men and was crucified on Golgotha's hill. Now in this dispensation, the Lord has declared that the time is soon at hand, that I shall come in a cloud with power and great glory, and it shall be a great day at the time of my coming, for all nations shall tremble but before that great day shall come, the sun shall be darkened and the moon be turned into blood, and the stars shall refuse their shining and some shall fall, and great destructions await the wicked. There's a phrase in that quotation that intrigues me. All nations shall tremble. Man in his arrogance and great nations in their vaunted power think themselves invincible. Their leaders have not read enough of history. More than 40 years ago, I was a missionary in the British Isles. That was the day of the empire when it could truthfully be said that the sun never set on British soil and when the Union Jack waved over a fourth of the world. Britain had a poet in those days who wrote the recessional for which he was severely criticized. But the words of Rudyard Kipling proved prophetic. I have been in many of those lands where once the British Tommies maintained the garrisons while the flag of Britain floated over the nation. 
New Zealand, Australia, Egypt, India, South Africa, to name a few. In those days, the peace of the world was Pax Britannica. Now the empire is gone. Its parts are independent nations. And the British lion that roared so loudly is old and sick and weak. Listen to Kipling's words. Far-flung our navies melt away on dune and headlands sink the fire. Lo, all our pomp of yesterday is one with Nineveh and Tyre. Judge of the nations, spare us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. It is easy for me to believe that when the Son of God comes again to claim his, ink, his kingdom, the nations shall tremble. For when that day arrives, the Son of Man shall come in glory, and all the holy angels with him. Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. There will be not only a judgment of the nations, but also of the people. Behold, said the Lord, now it is called today until the coming of the Son of Man, and verily it is a day of sacrifice and a day for the tithing of my people. For he that is tithed shall not be burned at his coming. For after today cometh the burning, when all the proud and they that do wickedly shall be as stubble. And I will burn them up, for I am the Lord of hosts, and I will not spare any that remain in Babylon. One of our brethren some years ago spoke of the payment of tithing as fire insurance. Nonetheless, the word of the Lord is clear that those who do not keep the commandments and observe the laws of God shall be burned at the time of his coming, for that shall be a day of judgment, a day of sifting, a day of separating the good from the evil. I would venture a personal opinion that no event has occurred in all the history of the earth as dreadful as will be the day of the second coming as fraught with the destructive forces of nature, as consequential for the nations of the earth, as terrible for the wicked, and as wonderful for the righteous. It will be a time of great and terrible fears, of cataclysmic upheavals of nature, of weeping and wailing, of repentance too late, and of crying out unto the Lord for mercy. But for those who in that judgment are found acceptable, it will be a day for thanksgiving. <clears throat> for the Lord shall come with his angels, and the apostles who were with him in Jerusalem, and those who have been resurrected. Further, the graves of the righteous will be opened, and they shall come forth. Then shall begin the great millennium, a period of a thousand years when Satan shall be bound and the Lord shall reign over his people. <clears throat> Can you imagine the wonder and the beauty of that era when the adversary shall not have influence? Think of his pull upon you now and then reflect on the peace of that time 
when you shall be free from such influence, there will be quiet and goodness where now there is contention and evil. I know that you are familiar with all of this and much more which is set forth in the scripture, but I have felt to repeat it tonight when we are gathered in a devotional service as a reminder to each of us of the faith and the certainty we have of these coming events. To know when they will come would take from us much of the self-discipline needed to walk daily in obedience to the principles of the gospel. Most of us seldom think of these millennial events, and perhaps it is well. Certainly there is no point in speculating concerning the day and the hour. Let us rather live each day, so live each day, that if the Lord does come while we are upon the earth, we shall be worthy of that change which will occur as in the twinkling of an eye, under which we shall be changed from mortal to immortal beings. And if we should die before he comes, then if our lives have conformed to his teachings, we shall arise in that resurrection morning and be partakers of the marvelous experiences designed for those who shall live and work with the Savior in that promised millennium. We need not fear the day of his coming. The very purpose of the Church is to provide the incentive and the opportunity to conduct our lives in such a way that those who are members of the kingdom of God will become members of the kingdom of heaven when he establishes that kingdom on the earth. Very quickly now, and by way of conclusion, may I suggest only two or three of the things which, if observed, will assist. The prophet Micah declared, He hath shewed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? There is enough for a long sermon in that one injunction. Let me touch on one point only, to love mercy. And as an example of that, may I read a paragraph from a letter received only last week from a young woman I know who's engaged in this kind of activity as president of a Relief Society. Yesterday, she writes, I spent the better part of the day picking up welfare groceries and delivering them. One of the two cases I called on was tragic. She is a woman who years ago was in a fire and her head was badly injured. For years she has undergone constructive surgery and has a number of pins holding her scalp together. She is divorced and in order to support herself and four-year-old girl, she works at anything and everything she can find doing a job here and a job there until she is through surgery and can return to school to complete her training as a dietitian, She has no car and relies solely on her bicycle for transportation in this great and busy city. 
She has ridden that bike all winter with her little girl on her back, sometimes going as many as 30 miles in a day in order to get to and from a small job. A week ago, she hit a patch of ice while riding, fell, struck her head, and suffered a concussion. She refused to go to the hospital because she had no money to pay. So she remained in her apartment, suffering from intense pain until her sister found her and got medical help. Her mother was then able to assist her just a little. Her home teacher happened to call and discovered her plight. When I, as the Relief Society president, called her, I discovered she had no food in the house, no medication for her <coughs> diabetes, and not a cent of money. And so yesterday, I went to deliver the groceries and take her some medication. What a pathetic sight. What an opportunity to serve one of those so desperately in need. Love mercy to walk in obedience to the commandment of the Lord and imparting of our substance for the work of his kingdom. Straightforward is the commandment and marvelous is the promise voiced through the prophet Malachi. I shall not take time to read it. You are familiar with it. But let me give you a testimony I heard only last Sunday spoken by a man once poor in his childhood, now prosperous in his old age. He stood before that chap congregation and said, when I was a boy on a summer's day, I would lie out in the lucerne patch and chew on twigs and look up at the sky and wonder where the windows of heaven are that my parents had spoken of. I couldn't see them in the clouds, and I thought they must be somewhere in the blue. I wondered how the windows could be opened so that I could get a Boy Scout uniform and a pony and a bicycle. I never got these, but I have come to see how the windows of heaven are opened as I have become the beneficiary of the kindness of good and generous neighbors and friends in this ward in which we live. Finally, pertaining to this general subject, let me read a few more words of Revelation. I read to you, young people, you young people, a few words of commandment and a few more words of promise. The commandment, let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly. Let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly. The promise, then shall thy confidence wax strong in the presence of God. I've thought of that statement a great deal. It's been my privilege to meet a number of the presidents of the United States 
and leaders, rulers, governors in other lands. And it's a reassuring feeling to be able to stand in the presence of such a man with confidence. As I have thought of that, I thought how marvelous it will be if someday I might stand with confidence in the presence of God. The Holy Ghost shall be thy constant companion, the Lord continues in this statement, and thy scepter an unchanging scepter of righteousness and truth. And thy dominion shall be an everlasting dominion and without compulsory means, it shall flow unto thee forever and ever, including, I should like to add parenthetically, in that time when the Lord comes at a great day of sifting and separation. Now, my brothers and sisters, of these things I testify, relying on the revealed word of the Lord, and humbly pray with sincere desire that each of us may so live our lives here and now, that we may have neither fear nor worry concerning that great and dreadful day of his coming. God bless us in our search for truth and peace and strength. I humbly pray in the name of him who shall surely come at a time we know not of, but whose coming shall be as certain as the coming of the sun over this valley in the morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen.